0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at
1: BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com slash Pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hiya Sarah to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com slash Pantsuit for 25% off.
2: Beth, I don't not see why not the president wouldn't support his own intelligence agencies. No? Does that make sense
0: to you?
1: No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I was saying no to whether or not I wouldn't not want to not talk about this anymore. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance.
2: Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics, or not, not welcome to another. No, I mean, we all are welcome. We're just going to start throwing not, like every other word, because we live in the upside down world now. And so we just use not a lot. And then, then we say, no, we didn't mean to say not. We're taking the not back. But there's another not and a no to a question we didn't ask. I'm, I'm exhausted by it. I'm exhausted.
1: Because apparently what you should do is ignore the entire context of everything, And the English language. Just focus (laughs) on particular words that were or were not made into contractions that would change your meaning. I don't know. It's Uh, been a crazy week. I understand that this is serious business.
2: But what else are we supposed to do but laugh? It's like we're being punked.
1: I don't know how anybody who has a a job related to foreign policy right now is getting out of bed in the morning. The the poor men and women of the Foreign Service – who are watching this White House, seriously suggest that a former ambassador might be made available to Vladimir Putin for questioning? What mm. What is going on and what are people to do? This is really serious. It's so serious. It's like he does what he always
2: does, which he sucks all the air out of the room so there's no oxygen for the serious
1: things because we're too busy paying attention to how ridiculous he is.
2: It's a classic. It's a classic move at this point.
1: Well, he's gone to his classic Twitter saturation theory now because he knows he's in trouble. So it becomes almost like drunk tweeting, right? I know the president isn't a drinker, but that's how it feels. It's the all caps and the the strangely Mm -hmm. capitalized words and the fake news media and they're the enemies of the people. It's just like the greatest hits all coming out anytime something goes disastrously wrong. But this disastrous wrongness is, I think, a new level of disastrous wrongness. As terrible, Mm -hmm. the only comparable moment I can think of was Charlottesville. And as terrible, terrible as that was, I don't think it endangered our country on the level that this endangers our country. I'm truly offended by white supremacists. And I find their growing power disturbing. But they don't scare me like Vladimir Putin. Well, I was going to say, perhaps that's because I think we are capable as Americans of really understanding the threat of white supremacy mm-hmm. and, and really talking to one another about that on a personal level. I There's so much about what Russia is up to that we cannot understand and we cannot mm-hmm. converse about and we cannot safeguard ourselves against. And, th- and that's why, to me... This calls for action. I think lots of things previously have called for action, but this calls for action at a new level. And I just keep thinking about if you are still defensive of the president and still saying that, you know, people like us are just hysteric liberals. Right. I'm not a liberal, Mm -hmm. but you can call me that if that makes you feel better. That's fine. But if that's your perspective, What is it that you are willing to sacrifice next? Because it's always going to be more, right? If right now you're saying, well, this was a blunder, but it's not as big a deal as people are making it, and your real concern is getting Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, but what are you going to give up next? We've had to give up, you've had to give up something every step along the way And I don't know when people will start to see clearly that that's not going to stop. And what you're being asked to give up is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So Here's
2: the thing, too, that really, really, really bothers me. Did you see the reporting in Politico where congressional Republicans were basically quoted off the record as saying, well, like, what else do you want us to do? What else could we do? We've had the investigations. The White House doesn't care. We passed the increased sanctions. He's still going to do it. And what I wish Politico had said back or somebody would say back is the issue is not that you don't have any options. That is not the issue. And we all know it. You know it. The issue is that the options available to you don't involve anything that you perceive as giving a win to the other party. And that's why you won't do it. Be honest with yourself. The reason you won't take a step in any direction against this president is because it could be perceived as an electoral win or electoral strategy for the Democrats, and it would give them a point in their playbook, and you can't stand that. Mitch McConnell. And like, so don't be be disingenuous and be like, I don't know what else we can do. You mean, I don't know what else we could do that might be beneficial to Democrats. Because that's, you know, we're at a space. And I'm not saying necessarily that if it wasn't, if that's not some of what was coming into play with the defense of Bill Clinton. We can't, we have to defend our president at all costs because it would give the other party a win. Amy Klobuchar was on NPR this morning talking about a bill she has forward to help states protect their own electoral databases from hackers. And I was so angry with the NPR reporter because she basically asked her, like, isn't this working at cross-purposes? Because if you... This is going to be an electoral strategy for you to talk about the Republicans not doing this. And if you give them... Basically, if you give them a win on this, isn't that bad for you? And she was like, no, because I'm not here to do that. I'm here to protect the elections. That's the mission. That's the strategy. You know, I was bothered that she asked that. I thought Amy Klobuchar responded well. But, like, I just feel like that's the undercurrent here. But because we can't just put pause long enough on this partisan environment to say what's best for the country
1: instead of what might hurt our party, we can't go anywhere. Something that comes up a lot in our conversations is the don't hate the player, hate the game mentality. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think the truth of it is the game has never been great and it is devolving.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And at some point, the players are going to have to change the game. Yeah. It is going to take individual people being willing to sacrifice their electoral potential mm-hmm. to do what's right for the country. And it takes all of us to be standing there with those people. I would be going the distance for any Republican who was actually behaving like someone who had a shred of power in the United States Congress. Yeah. I would go the distance for those people. I would be knocking on my neighbor's doors and like, this is me. That is not a thing that I want to do. This is that that's not how I live my life. I don't love to converse with strangers, but I would be doing it for anyone who was standing up and trying to make a difference here. They don't give me that option, though, right, because they're too busy just calculating what, quote, the base is going to do. And every time a new poll comes out, I saw one this morning, something like 85 percent of Republicans approve of Trump's handling of the Helsinki conference. Oh,
2: my baby Jesus.
1: You know, think about who you're asking at this point. Eighty five percent of a shrinking population doesn't mean mm-hmm. a whole lot. And I don't know what the accuracy of that is. But every time we talk about those stories, we're making it worse. Right. Yeah. We're making we're not giving people any room to make better decisions.
2: Mm-hmm. That's so true that, you know, as long as we keep talking about it like that and people hear it, it will be like, well, everybody else thinks it OK, so it must be. It must be – there must be truth in both sides, you know. Oh, man. And sometimes there's just – there isn't. It's the false equivalency. And I hear people – I don't just hear the press do that. I hear people say that. Oh, well, just both sides are rigged and both sides – you know, the cynicism. Both sides are wrong. Both sides are – yeah, because we feel like we have to pick a side. Maybe just focus on the reality in front of
1: us without worrying about how your team's talking about it. That's right. There's just nothing partisan about our relationship as a country with Russia. Mm. And the people who are trying to – Dana Rohrabacher, shame on you. Like the people who are trying to make this a partisan issue, it's horrific. The most disturbing portion of that, like the most horrific
2: part to me is I was having a conversation with an incredibly right-winged friend of mine. And he started talking about – oh, well, Trump tricked Putin into talking about $400 million in illegal contributions to Hillary Clinton. And I said – I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was talking about Putin talking about Brouwer. Like, it became this partisan talking about... I'm like, I don't think you understand the reality of that situation. Who this man is, why he did what he did, why Vladimir Putin hates him so much. And now this has just been transformed into a partisan talking point. Now brower this man who who i think did something very brave and very good and worked on behalf of this his lawyer who was russian lawyer who was slaughtered by the putin regime is now being turned into an enemy of america and the you know a liberal donor i just is so disturbing to me and for what yeah like, what is that in service of It's in service of Vladimir Putin. That's who's in the service of. That's the bananas part. Like, it's just exactly what he wants. They're turning the entire, all the ideologues on the right into soldiers in this war against this man who
1: did the right thing. It's disturbing. It is disturbing. And I I just, again, I go back to what is at the root of this need to tell that story about everything? Mm-hmm. What is causing us to need to turn every and, – and by us, I mean the people on the right. What is causing us to need to turn everything, even a former ambassador and an American citizen who I agree has acted heroically to help expose the depravity of Vladimir Putin? Why would we need to make that something that's about Democrats? That just doesn't make any sense to me. In service of what? Is it really that important to you to get a conservative justice who might someday, maybe under the right circumstances, overturn Roe versus Wade? Are you willing to sacrifice our entire democracy over abortion rights? Is that where we are? Or gun rights? Or, I don't know, gay marriage? like Whatever it is. What what is What is the point here? I just don't. I'm really struggling. I think the point at which you
2: trust Vladimir Putin over Americans, even if they're liberal, we got a problem. And I think part of it is it. And I see this on the other side, too. I do. Which is you if I'm going to talk about you, this is the other if I'm going to talk about you like you're trash, like you're an enemy of the state, like and be justified in treating you horribly and talking about you horribly, the stakes have to be really high for me to justify that to myself. And to justify acting so ugly and feeling like my fellow Americans are enemies, I have to make sure that they are really, really bad. They have to be the worst in order for me to be okay as hopefully someone who views themselves as an ethical and moral being to justify those actions. And so everything has to be justified. Like if there's... It's this, like, I can't let a chink in the armor. If I give you a win, if I admit that you might be right about something, then it undercuts this whole wall I've built on
1: why you're the enemy and everything I throw at you is morally acceptable. So an entire swath of the country is adopting the president's moral compass. Yep. We can't have this investigation because it could undermine my election. It's all about me, and therefore nothing else matters. And on the individual level, it becomes... I can't criticize the president's performance in Helsinki because it might mean that I shouldn't have voted for Donald Trump and I can't have that be correct. So none of the rest of it. Yep. That's a problem.
2: You think? Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And I,
2: you know, I don't know what to do except to just on individual levels continue to exhibit another way to continue to call on our elected officials to exhibit another way. And that means sometimes saying to Democrats, I don't care if this gives the Republican a win. I don't care if this gives the pro-life movement something that's small that they want. Because if you don't compromise ever, that's not democracy. Democracy doesn't mean ideological purity. And it never has, man, Did you get a chance to watch Barack Obama's speech at Mandela's birthday?
1: I've watched portions of it, not the whole thing yet.
2: It's so good. And he talks about this. You know, I don't know how that man is capable of making me feel both simultaneously. I get how bad it is. And it's going to be okay. Like, oh, I tear up just thinking about it. But he talks about that. He talks about like this does not this is not sustainable. It just isn't. We cannot have a democracy in which we completely and totally silence the other side because we feel like they're enemies of America, enemies of a free press, enemies of, a, you know, abortion rights, enemies of the Second Amendment, enemies of small government, whatever it is, it's just, it's there's 300 million people. We're not all going to get what we want all the time. I know the stakes are incredibly high. I get it. But I in, until we can find another way that doesn't involve compromise, and I haven't seen that available, then I don't know what else to do. Well, speaking of making these choices in our individual lives, lots of you wrote in about our conversation about what to say in the moment um, with Beth sharing very in a very vulnerable space about how she wished she'd said something at a baseball game where someone was saying something um, sort of hate-filled. And we had a lot of people write in, but Two people wrote in basically the same email, which I thought this is a sign of something. Everybody's on the same wavelength. Kate wrote in and said, We have to say something, it doesn't have to be perfect. Next time I am a witness to hate-filled language, I'm just going to start by saying, that's not okay. I believe that once I'm able to open my mouth and let the first words come out, more will come, and I bet the others around me will rally as well and come together to either just joining me in saying, that's not okay, or coming up with the perfect comeback. It just takes one person to start a wave at a baseball game. It might be slow to start, but it can gather momentum quickly. So maybe we all just need to have that phrase, that's not okay, in our back pocket when we want to start a wave of goodness. And then Sloan wrote in and said the same thing. She said, maybe we all have the courage to be the first person. So maybe it's not even what we say in these situations, but that we just say
1: something. And I thought that was so good and so well said. Karen also wrote in to say that if you are not a person who frequently uses live stream apps on your phone... To practice that so that if you're in one of these situations, I that was really good, you're able really good. to capture what's happening and share it with other people. And again, I really struggle with how and when to share this information. But Sarah, I I did find it compelling when you said that there are lots of people who want to deny that these attitudes are so prevalent in our country Mm -hmm. and it's important to show them that they are. We also got a frustrated message with us on Twitter, which I understood, about how we did not talk in this conversation about the fact that there's a pretty direct connection between an escalation in these incidents and the president and sort of this administration emboldening people. And I think on the one hand, um, we just kind of take that for granted. Yeah, so just say I didn't
2: talk about it because I just thought i assumed we're on the same page with that. I mean, I guess we're not, but I mean, I have people down to my friends who work in customer service, like in government and other places, talking about how it has gotten so much worse since he's been elected. These are people who are not overtly political, who try to stay above the fray, who are like. No, we noticed it
1: almost immediately. So I guess, I'm, yeah, I'm just assuming we're on the same page with that. Well, and on the other hand, I think that's absolutely true, and I do take it for granted. And I still hold people individually accountable for their actions, just like I hold myself individually accountable for not having spoken out when I should have. um, I hold the people who are being emboldened responsible, and I do not excuse them because the climate has worsened. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is where you and I always part ways a little bit in, in ways that are complementary and both important, you know, but I was thinking about our discussion on the nuanced life about 9-11 and your emphasis on the absence of sort of national leadership around how we should process 9-11 was a really different direction from my emphasis on how in our individual lives and circumstances, we don't do grief well. And and that's just kind of our theme, right? And it's our mm-hmm. approach to our basic philosophies about government that I tend to think about our individual contribution and you tend to think about the environment and the culture in which we are. And I think that this is an example of how you can never take those two things apart because, yes, people are absolutely emboldened by this president and his policies and his language, and they are still responsible for that. I just want to say this really fast. The reason I think it's so what Karen suggested about live streaming,
2: for one, I think holding up a phone is a sort of protection because my husband was really big, like when we lived in Washington, D.C., and I always want, want to try to say something to a stranger. He'd be like, crazy lady, we don't confront strangers whose mental health or mental situation we don't understand. Like, we're not going to do that. That's how you get shot. So because he grew up in Atlanta. So I just didn't grow up with that sort of fr- mindset. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do think like it is, you know, it is a risk. Never un, like I don't want to I don't want to be unclear that it is a risk to say something in a situation like that. Um, and so I think being able to live stream like getting to the live stream as a sort of protection as a just be understand like the people around here watching and the whole world is watching is good. And it's like a it's like a drill like you got to you got to be able to do it quickly. I think that's such a good
1: idea. I'm going to start practicing. It is a risk. I also want to share the perspective that one of our listeners in the LGBTQ community generously shared with us. She was very gracious about my freezing in the moment. And she said, you know, when I hear someone make a comment like the one you described at that baseball game, and for people who didn't hear that episode, a person made an ugly comment about pride events in Cincinnati. She said, when I have been in those moments and heard that, it is terrifying. Like every cell in my body starts to think what could happen next and who will help us. And that is an experience that I can't fully appreciate, but I'm making every effort to fully appreciate it to the extent that's possible for me. And that will be sort of what gives me courage the next time I have an opportunity to stand up and say something, because it is so wrong and heartbreaking to me that anyone in our country has that sense of fear that they're going to be attacked just because of who they are. Mm. And so I really appreciated all the messages about this. I think everyone um, came, came from a place of how can we all sincerely support each other in standing up against hateful speech. And that's something that we're going to have to do more and more, I fear, as the climate in our country seems to be devolving at a more rapid pace.
2: Next up, we are going to share our interview with Carrie Hicks, who is running for state senate in the state of Oklahoma. Ran her primary, y'all, while pregnant, had a baby out there while running for state senate. Is that not amazing? Won her primary, and so we're going to share our conversation with her next. We are special breakfast people here at Pansy Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash pantsuit. Terms and conditions apply.
1: We are so excited to be talking with Carrie Hicks, who is a candidate for Senate in Oklahoma, public school teacher, Has a background in politics and fundraising as well. Had a baby during her campaign. Carrie, tell everyone all about yourself. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, hi. Um, first of all, just thank you so much for having me on. I am a huge fan, obviously, of this podcast and just what it has meant to me as a female candidate, um, giving me lots of hope um, and inspiration to continue the momentum for our campaign. So, um, yes, I am a public school teacher. I've been teaching for seven years in the classroom. And during that time, um, the state of Oklahoma has decreased our funding to public education by 28%. Yeah. Um, Yes, we are struggling right now um, just to keep the doors open to our crumbling buildings. And so um, in light of those statistics and just having a political science um, degree and background, I decided now's the time um, for that politically educated teacher voice to make its way to the table and really start making decisions and policies that will start to reverse that trend.
1: Can you give us a little bit more background on what's going on in Oklahoma? Because you you have had major mobilization of teachers to speak out against a lack of funding.
0: Yes, we actually just, let's see, in this last year, I mean, we announced the campaign in April of 2017. um, And during this year of campaigning, um, we ended up as the state of Oklahoma in a two-week teacher walkout um, in response to, yes, the lack of dedicated funding and revenue back to public schools. And there were four major plans that were brought to a vote um, in special sessions and in regular legislative session um, that had continued to be defeated by our electorate. And so our mobilization, if you will, um, was in response to the fact that our current elected officials and leadership were still just unresponsive to um, what are some major needs still in public education. And so um, many made the decision to run for public office during uh, that time. Candidate filing happened during our statewide walkout. And so there were many, yes, that were inspired to go ahead and throw their name in the ring. Um, Obviously, we had been announced and running for well over a year, but I mean, I was just encouraged by teachers finally finding their voice um, and, and using it. And in, in, to me, you know, the, the most um, respected way and trying to address our, our real concerns. Those, those decisions are made at the state level and that's where we need to be. So how did you decide to run? Well, my frustration actually started um, at the defeat of a state question, um, which was proposing a penny cent sales tax um, that was put to a vote of the of the state and it was defeated. And that penny cent sales tax would have been dedicated revenue back to public schools. Um, you know, and, and even within our own family, my husband and I disagreed about the measure, um, because he just continued, I know, right. you got to have uh, that respectable debate. Um, but he, you know, viewed it as it was as a very regressive measure and, um, not nearly doing, Enough um, to reverse, like I said, those that decade long kind of chipping away at our funding. But um as a morale boost, that was the final straw. And many of my friends were kind of that same way. And just, it was just very demoralizing, you know, with the state defeating um, that particular measure saying, you know, that the state legislature needs to do its job. They need to take care of funding public education. Um, I completely agree with that, but it was just very clear that, um, like I said before, those officials weren't going to address it. And so it we were hoping, you know, that the people would. Um, And when that was defeated, it was kind of like, okay, I've either got to get out of the state, I have to get out of education, or I need a bolder voice to fix this problem.
1: Can you talk about the on the ground felt impact of this kind of budget cut um, for public schools? Sure. Um,
0: My teaching experience has been on on both sides of the fence, I guess you could say. Um, I started in a Title I school in northwest Oklahoma City. Um, It is the most densely populated city block in the state of Oklahoma. Um, So our our students are severely impoverished. um, And then I guess the last four years I've spent teaching, um, in a very, very affluent community. Um, so I mean, truly just like daylight and dark. Um, and so the, the experience in that Title I school, um, I mean, we heavily re- relied on federal funding in order to um, have things like technology and 100 um, percent free and reduced lunch and breakfast program for our students. And our students took part in um, the backpack program, um, which is by our local food bank that does um meals for the weekend for students who would not have access to food over the weekend when they're not in school. In Deer Creek, I mean, it's completely reverse of that. Um, But kids are kids no matter where they are. And so at Two Lakes, those impacts have resulted in a very high turnover in staff because it's a very difficult environment to teach. And in Deer Creek, um, I mean, we're also now experiencing the same thing. It's a little bit a little bit later um, to come to light, but they have a, a smaller salary. So, where I'm currently teaching, they offered the the lowest salary in the metro in half of the last four years. So you are trading basically, you know, I guess it was about fifteen hundred dollars um, to have a more manageable. Class environment, so everyone's impacted. You know, no school district in Oklahoma is doing well right now.
1: Wow. Well, talk a little bit about your primary campaign, if you would, Carrie. You had a very difficult primary campaign, from what I read.
0: Yes. Um. So I um, am, <laughs> admittedly, the outsider in this race. Um. Even with my political science background, um, I have two master's degrees to teach. Um. You know, it was very very clear from the get-go that my primary opponent kind of had, you know, the quote-unquote establishment um, behind her. Her resume is immaculate. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say that, you know, she's she has worked her tail off. um, And so, you know, with that, she's
1: obviously had a, lo- a lot more support, I guess, if you will, from, you know, kind of the good old boy club. She's done a lot for the party, right? That's, is, that, that's what you're trying to say, right? She's done a whole lot for the Democratic Party in Oklahoma?
0: Yes. And, and I mean, she's a, a former lobbyist um, and with the Women's Coalition. And so she and I both had that in common and obviously wanting to to bring to light some of what we feel like are the injustices that are happening to women and girls here in our state. And so we had a lot of shared um, views, but what she had over me was just that um, working relationship with a lot of um, really great organizations here in Oklahoma that have addressed some real critical needs um, for our state. And so um, it was tough, you know, because people are looking for, you um, a candidate that is quote unquote viable. And when you have a certain amount of money in your um, political campaign, people either dismiss you or they throw their support behind you. And so I was um, on the lower end of that, of that. And so um, I think there was just a real, maybe I I was actually unaware that this was happening. Um, But, you know, I think people just felt like I couldn't win because I didn't have the money behind me. Um, so I knocked doors, a um, hundred doors a day. That was what I averaged. Dang, that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> in a <laughs> hundred degree heat um, to make because, sure that my- you know,
2: average like a third, let me just let me just throw in some logistics here for y'all who haven't spent a majority of your life knocking doors. I mean, 30 an hour is like, you're killing it. Probably closer to t- 15 to 20 an hour. So do the math on a hundred a day.
0: That's yeah. a lot
2: how rural is your district? Like how, how tight is the population?
0: Um, it's, I mean, it's the Northwest corner of Oklahoma city. So so, that's at least um,
2: good. You weren't going out into like cornfields or anything. Is that real? uh, The people who have to knock doors like that. Oh my God. It's like 15
0: for six hours. It's terrible. Exactly. There's one, um, kind of the North end of, um, my Senate district um, has really, really big lots. And so we just called it the slog. I mean, you knew that yeah. you were going to be averaging a really big And for so long course.
2: after, I would go to neighborhoods, like not knocking doors. Like I would go visit for in D.C. and I'd be like, oh, this would be such a good neighborhood to knock doors. Like that's all I cast. <laughs> everything was the prism from like, how quickly could I knock on
0: the doors in this neighborhood? Uh, yes. And I mean, like for, for um, you know, I mean, just... It, I guess like our campaign strategy was, you know, quality over quantity, yeah. um, because we knew that with every um, door that I knocked that was opened, I mean, that was an opportunity to earn a vote. And so, I mean, it was it was more about connecting with them as human be- beings and hearing what they were experiencing and seeing what they were experiencing and how I as a candidate could help champion that cause for them, because I mean, Y'all, education is not a talking point for me. That is my life experience. That is my career. Mm. Yeah. My son has um, a chronic illness. He's, um, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 17 months old. And so when people want to talk about education and healthcare, I mean, that is truly my life experience. I am that teacher that is struggling to pay for insulin at the end of the month.
1: And so how are you finding the general election now? And, and what are you focused on going into November?
0: Well, this primary election was very strange for Oklahoma in a lot of ways because we had state question seven eighty eight, which was a vote for medicinal marijuana, and so we had um, a lot of voters um, in the state that came out just to vote on that state question. Um, This was the first time that independent voters could also request a Democratic primary ballot because we had opened um, our primary up to independent voters. So with those two things coupled together, having the state question and then having an influx of independent voters that could also vote, um, our numbers are crazy right now. We're trying to dig through, you know, who was it that voted? What was their motivation? Um, and so everything that we had kind of anticipated as our win number, I mean, has been totally turned upside down. And now we're kind of trying to figure out, okay, who will actually show up to vote in the general? Um, so we're kind of digesting some of those numbers. Um, But we're just keeping our strategy strong. Um, You know, I mean, it's definitely July in Oklahoma, and it is hot, hot, hot out there. Um, And I'm a nursing mom, so I have to make sure that I am chugging that water um, to be able to keep my supply up. But I mean, that's what it's going to take is to continue to knock doors and have those face to face conversations, because I just I just have to believe there is more that we agree on than we disagree. Um, You know, I I think kids, education, healthcare, access to those kinds of things. That's a nonpartisan issue for me. Um, You know, we have got to take care of people in in Oklahoma. The quality of life indicator just came out and we are one of the top five worst places to live. Mm -hmm. Um, So. It just stands to reason that we get people with common sense elected who actually want to take care of people and we can start to chip away at some of those negative statistics.
1: Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a Wrinkle Support Skin Supplement
2: Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15.
1: There's not much worse than a dry, energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water I think that's awesome, Carrie. Anything else that you want to talk about that you want people to know about you or your campaign? Sure. Really, the third point that I haven't touched
0: on is criminal justice reform. And we just, we have such a need in Oklahoma. We now not only um, top the nation at our female incarceration rates, but actually the world, um, which is just absolutely heartbreaking when you think about those females being mothers um, to families who have been now removed um, from that staple and that role model. Um, And maybe they did something you know, that they need to face a consequence for. Absolutely. But I just know that there have to be better ways um, for a corrections system to actually be correcting behavior.
1: Is that drug related, Carrie? Why Why is that? Yes, we, we've actually um,
0: incarcerated more uh, people for for marijuana charges, um, then, I mean, some of what I would consider the worst offenses combined. Um, and so if we could start to look at, you know, a drug court or mental health courts, um, I mean, we we could reduce that number astronomically. Um, and, and they're collecting signatures right now for a petition to try and put recreational marijuana on a state question. And um, if they're successful with that, I mean, <laughs> That would reduce our our prison population
1: by quite a lot. That seems so important to me. And another place where having someone who's actually been in the classroom makes a huge difference because you're able to articulate the long-term consequences of a broken criminal justice system. Just as we sat down to record this morning, I got a message from a teacher in my neighborhood who is at a professional development session that is focused on trauma based on the presence of ICE in our communities. And what children have witnessed related to ICE. And I thought, you know, everybody who complains about funding public school can't imagine what we're asking teachers to be here in 2018.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had that com- same conversation with um, a potential voter who is a school teacher. Um, he teaches on in the south side of Oklahoma City, which has a very large population um, of, of immigrants. And so um, he wanted to know my stance on ICE as it relates to schools. And, you know, I just said I uh, on a national scale, I disagree with what's going on. And as a teacher, we know that to be effective at educating kids, we have to have trust. There has to be respect. And it goes both ways. That mutual respect and that trust in being able to educate a child is so, so, so important. So if they are now fearful that the school or their teacher is going to be reporting um, I mean, we, we literally can no longer do our jobs of educating Mm -hmm. kids, um, which I mean that people don't, people don't understand how important those two things are in, in being able to have that relationship with a child. They will not learn anything from you if they don't trust you and they will not learn anything from you if they don't respect you. And I think when you are asking teachers to do things that go against that, um, you're going to lose a lot of. Teachers um, that just simply are are unwilling um, to do what they know is not in the best interest of their students. What has been the
2: most surprising thing to you as a female candidate? What would you what would you tell women running right now or thinking about running? Well, um, the shame game
0: is real. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk about that for a minute. So obviously being pregnant um, for nine months of the primary race, I mean, people would either allude to it or they would ask questions about it that um, obviously would never be asked of a male counterpart. Um, And that's okay. I'm fine with that. Um, I can't control people's reactions, but I can explain to them how I'm still... um, Your brain still works? Yeah, my brain still works. Um, I I absolutely have the forte. To be able to continue to knock doors, take care of my kids, plan lesson plans, um, prepare for state testing—you name it, I got it. Um, this is not going to undermine my work ethic, um, and so I think that was a lot of false assumptions about me as a candidate. Um, was that since I was pregnant, I would just quietly, you know, acquiesce into the shadows? Um, but, but, girls, I'm here to tell you, um, lean all the way in.
1: <laughs> I mean
0: there's just no better time, um, to be a mom, um, which to me, you know, is, is taking care of people. And the fact that we're not doing that in our, in our local government and what I would consider on a national scale as well. Um, we have, we've got to step forward and, and offer that voice so confidently. Um, and so one, one really funny story. So, I, uh, and I've got really thick skin y'all. My, um, husband does stand up comedy. So I, let me tell you, I, when people have a sense of humor, I think it makes the world a better place. Um, but I was on the doors, uh, eight months pregnant. And I was knocking for um, the listed Democrat in the household, and it was the husband that answered. And so we were having a very interesting conversation about a lot of um, federal issues um, that this voter was, you know, concerned about. And you know, I was listening and taking it all in. And finally, he holds up my walk card and he said, "Well, you look, you know, much thinner here," <laughs> and I laughed. Uh, loudly like i thought that was hilarious you know he's making a joke about me being pregnant obviously i'm 3 weeks due with my you know or you know from having our third child and and then i realized he didn't get the joke um that it was not a joke at all he was actually very concerned of why i had gained so much weight in this political campaign and and so i told him i said well, well you know i would hope i'm much thinner there i'm actually um 3 weeks from my due date with my third child and he didn't respond. He looked <sighs> at my stomach and said, Oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> and I, oh,
1: I just man. thought,
0: wow. You know, if the, if the only thing you're concerned about, or the only question you have for me is why and I am not so much as much my walk card, then I don't know that I want your vote. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got a lot of, I didn't have, I was not pregnant
0: kudos, but I would
2: be like out sweating because it's hot and I'm out really? walking around knocking on doors. And I had a couple guys being like, well, you don't look as cute on your card as you do right now. And I'm like, right, because it's 90 degrees out here and I'm walking around knocking on doors. And like and I got by the end, <laughs> like I was not doing the, I'm going to smile and make you feel comfortable with your, I would just look at them and be like, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you sit with your misogynistic, ridiculous comments.
0: We're just <gasps> all going to sit
2: in silence
0: and let it hang there. Jerks. Yeah.
2: Did you get a lot of hugs? Did you get a
0: lot of hugging? Not yet. Not, not yet. I got and hugs.
2: I got a lot of side hugs and some, there was lots of hugging. My, the mayor and I always talk about that. There's, we get lots of, you, you'll you get it more, I bet, like as it goes on, especially like if you're elected, people like to hug female, female elected officials. This is my working theory. And so they feel like it's awkward to shake hands, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why a hug is not more awkward, but.
0: <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's just not as uncomfortable for me because that's my love language too, right? As a teacher, I'm giving hugs and high fives and. Yeah, but um, kids are one thing, like old dudes are another. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think, well, I know that it's well-intentioned, you know, some of the yeah. language that they use from a certain, um, you know, age group of, you know, darling and sugar yeah. and honey and, oh, come on inside. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I know it's well-intentioned or at least mm-hmm. I'm optimistic enough to hope that it's well-intentioned, but you know, it really is uncomfortable and awkward. Um, yeah. you know, to be totally honest, I mean, I'm not darling, I'm not sugar. You don't know me, please don't use yeah. that word to describe me yet. Um, you know, we're not friends and it's not a term of endearment. So, um, you know, Mrs. Hicks works just fine. Yeah.
1: What, what has been easier? For you in this process than you thought it might be because I think so many women are overwhelmed by the prospect of running for some of the reasons that we were just talking about. Right? Is there any aspect of it that you were really worried about that you have found to be natural or fun or surprising in a positive way? I don't want to harp on this too long, but you know, it really is the door knocking aspect
0: because I think that's the most daunting to most people. I, how do you knock on somebody's door when you don't know them? And just strike up a conversation that's meaningful. Thankfully, um, it feels very much like parent conferences, and you're, you, you know, to me, it's just an opportunity to listen and learn. Um, and so, as they, you know, open up, um, and you be surprised about what people want oh, yeah. to talk. I just let it happen, um, so that then I can figure out what truly motivates them as a as a voter um what's what's important what's your concern and and how can i best address that or maybe i'm not the one to best address that um and and so i I mean it has been very natural um i'm also a sorority girl So I've been telling all my, uh, all my girls that I've been volunteering, um, with Alpha Fee, um, sorority for the last eight years. And I've told them all, um, that recruitment is very much like running a campaign.
2: (laughs) You have to I don't know how many times in my life where like the, what's it called? Where you, you, you match the, what they want, like dual, there's a word for it where you're matching the preferences, Mm -hmm. the dual matching preferences. How many Uh times in my like real life, that system has come up where you're like, oh, I get it. Like sorority. Okay. Like where there's like some sort of dual ranking and you're trying to make everybody work together. Yeah. And you're like, oh Uh, yeah, no, I get it.
0: You mean rush. Okay, cool. I understand what we're talking about. It's like that mutual selection, right? Where, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, like people like, like people, that's what I would always tell my girls. So we're going to find somebody in the room that is like you for you to talk to, because that just makes you feel more comfortable and more confident in your conversation. And so then when you are rating those conversations, that's exactly what uh, campaigning is like. I mean, I'm rating like one, yes, they are all in, they want a yard sign. They are voting for Hicks. Two, they like me, but they're not ready to, to vote for me yet. Three, they have no idea who they're voting for. Four, mm, probably not, probably not their gal. Um, five, nope no way impossible. Like they are not voting for me a hundred percent. And, you know, I guess that would be hard for people to take too of just not being liked. Um, But, you know, the reality is about 50% of the population, they're not, they're not going to like me. Um, So then I have to be able to persuade that middle group, what we're now looking at for the general election, that persuadable vote. So,
2: well, here's um, what I tell people too. You're just also in the sunshine walking around. Which are just two natural mood boosters. Like, you know, when you go, when you're spending like a substantial part of your day walking outside, it's kind of hard to be in a bad mood. Like it just, I think just psychologically, evolutionarily, physiology, like it's just the sun and the movement makes you feel good as long as you're staying hydrated. And it's so funny. It's exactly what you said. Like people, I had like two people, I'm probably five out of 5,000 be rude to me. Just ugly, unnecessarily ugly. But so many people were kind and there were so many people, you're right, where they're like, oh, you have to talk politics with me. Sweet. Because people feel like they can't talk politics, I think, a lot of times that they think it's rude or whatever. And so when somebody knocks on their door, it's like a totally different ballgame. Also, for women candidates, it's important to know that there's just like a lot of stuff. This is the upside of being a female candidate of knocking on door. Like, I think it is easier for women to knock on doors than men, like because men a man knocking on your door is going to set off all signs of security, red flags for people, whereas, like, me and my little hat, or if I'm pushing my baby, people are like, yeah, what's up? You know, like, I, there's just, like, a whole threshold if you're a female knocking on door that you don't deal with. Now, you have to deal with your safety
0: walking around in a way that a male candidate might not, but I think there is a yeah. upside Oh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, my team would, you know, like be looking through the data and go, man, your knock rate is insane. People just open their doors for yeah. you. like, that's good. I mean, I'm just out here like, hi. I'm a mom. I'm a teacher. Yeah, exactly. like for office. You have a minute? Can we talk? You know, and and I mean, hopefully that's not. I think that's as less threatening as you can be. Yeah. <laughs> um. But you know, there. Yeah, there. There have been a couple that were just really um, disappointed or disheartened. I guess with the political process. I mean, right, right near the end, um, gearing up for the primary. I mean, these, these. Folks had had their doors knocked so many times, not from just me, but from my primary opponent, who was also, she's formidable. She had a great team. They were out, you know, canvassing as well. And so people were just like cranky about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. quit knocking on my door, go away. Um, and one lady, she went to open her door, but she opened her window and she yelled through the screen window about how she was disappointed in all politicians and she would never vote again and slammed the window. And I thought, if anything, that is more reason to be voting, yeah, but I'm, I'm sorry that we can't have that conversation because you just don't even want to meet me. I so that guy it. tell me <laughs> I don't vote in local
2: elections.
0: And I said,
2: so you go and only fill out part of the ballot? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, I am so confused by that approach <laughs> that you would literally drag your booty all the way there and not fill out the stuff that arguably affects you more. All right, cool. Cool. You do yes. your friends?
0: What the heck? And um, you know, we we had some data that kind of indicated teachers um, in Oklahoma are not great voters. And you know, I mean, I can list off a lot of logistical reasons why I think that is. But I mean, here's the thing: if we're not casting our ballots, then we should not be surprised that people who are currently elected, um, don't represent our voices if we're not going to take time to vote. So, um, I challenged all of my colleagues. Um, I mean, our, our data had said one in five teachers voted in the last presidential election. And so my approach to that was let's make it five and five this time.
2: Um,
0: let's not, you know, let this hang over our heads and be shamed about it. Let's just fix it. Um, let's be, um, pragmatic and progressive and let's just take care of business and get your booty to the polls.
1: Amen. Well, I think as someone who has not knocked on doors and does not intend to at any point, I really appreciate what you're doing because that just running is an act of public service. Right. And and you're working very, very hard to be a voice for people who have not had enough of a voice in your state's government. I love the idea of adding another uh, breastfeeding representative to Sarah's Pinterest board of women in office. Are there any good pics out of
2: there? You of you already like knocking with that baby or something? Because i wanna to put them on my Pinterest board if there are.
0: Yes, there are. Um, I'll have to send you some. Yeah, you have to send me
2: some because I really I like like I have all that that one Italian legislator who's been bringing her kids since it was like a newborn. It's still going
0: to the village. I love her. I got lots of her, lots
2: of uh, uh, Senator Duckworth.
0: We got all kinds of stuff. I love it. Love <laughs> Senator Duckworth. Um, actually, when I filed for office, I was wearing um, Camilla because she was only eight weeks old, and it was really interesting because the candidate filing process was just totally upended um, because it was during the the teacher walkout. So they had to you know make alternative paths, and there was all kind of security that wouldn't normally be on Capitol grounds, and so it my team had gotten there early and they were like, okay, it's great. You can bring your family through this entrance. You know, we know you'll be coming with the kids. Like we want to make this as easy as possible. I said, sure, absolutely. And then when we got there, we waited in line for over an hour, which I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old and she's approaching, well, she's five months old today, um, eight weeks at the time. And so I'm like, this, this is like, we're done. We're done with being nice. Like my kids, (sighs) (laughs) I would say they're turning on me we gotta wrap it up we gotta do this and so as we um, got close to the door they actually said um, families were no longer permitted through that entrance that it was only for candidates and that they could um, find an alternative (laughs) route into the building and trying not to um, you know get my kids all wound up, you know, by my response. I was trying to control it and I'm like, okay. So I'm looking at my husband who now has, you know, (laughs) the, the four-year-old and the two-year-old and he's going to have to figure this out on his own um, and my mother who was there helping us take care of some things and she's not in um, you know great health Um, she's obviously still doing the thing but she's got asthma and so I was really concerned how are they going to get around the building through this alternative entrance you know and and so uh, I mean I was wearing the baby for logistical reasons not to make any kind of political statement um, but it has become that you know they're like yes good for you you wearing your baby to file for office, and I thought, well, we have three kids. <laughs> There's only have two, two hands two and three so, kids. Do the math. You know, let's be honest, this was not some big statement. And so, as they're saying, you know, candidates can only enter through this um, doorway, I'm like looking around, like, are they going to make me take the baby off? Because I I was like, I'm going to smuggle this one through. That is just the way this is. <laughs> And I just walked through that metal detector like I knew what I was doing. They didn't say a word to me and away we went.
1: (laughs) Good for you. I think that says a lot about how you would be as a state senator in really positive ways. So all the best. Please keep us posted on your campaign. We are so grateful that you spent some time with us this morning. Thank you. I love you guys. Take care. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Carrie Hicks. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us and for being one of many women out there just doing the work to try to serve our country and to do better than we're doing today. Mm -hmm. We have quite a few more interviews with women running for office coming up. We're really excited about them. If you are involved in a campaign, a candidate yourself, or know someone who would be a good guest on Pantsy Politics, let us know. We want to give a forum to all of the women who are out there working hard. So Beth is heading to the beach next week. So you're going to be getting a lot of Sarah from the left. I have some very exciting
2: guest hosts coming your way, sharing some interviews. We'll be speaking with Allie Worthington on The Nuance Life. I'm really excited about that, sharing that interview. And we just wish Beth a happy
1: and safe vacation, Beth. Thank you so much. And to you the same because we're going to be kind of high-fiving in the distance (laughs) and trading places.
2: (laughs) So we will be, well, I will be back with you next week. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Panty Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music.
1: Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.